Welcome to Cult Evaded. I'm your host, Chandra Arthur. Warning. This content may not be appropriate for all audiences. It may contain language and descriptions of dangerous and distressing situations. Listener discretion is advised. Imagine for a moment that you are a young boy. You have just started puberty. Up to this point in your life, everything you've done has been scripted. You are to be spiritual, but not emotional, a leader, except for when led, and in every situation you should always know what to do. It is expected that you will be self-sufficient, that you will run a household, and you will be a leader. On top of everything else, you have next to no exposure to women at all, women or girls. There's so much supervision around interaction between boys and girls that outside of the family, you may not have any exposure. You may not have had the opportunity to have conversations with women. You've probably never dated. No one's ever told you how to date. And your first experience of that and the ideas around it may be through pornography or movies, maybe. It really just depends on if you had internet access or not. And if you were able to get movies, what kind of movies were they? And if there were movies and there were relationships in those movies, were they even healthy? There's no standard by which to measure that. There's no indication. And when you're raised with everything in your life being wrong and sinful, any personal desire or interest being wrong and sinful, you have no standard by which to measure things for truth. So maybe, in spite of everything else, you do get a girlfriend. And someone finds out. There's suddenly this immense pressure to marry that person. If you spent any alone time with that person whatsoever, there's going to start to be some kind of pressure to get married. And if it goes beyond that, there's no guarantee that you'll have had any kind of sex education. Maybe you've had a girlfriend before. Maybe, maybe she knew something. Maybe she didn't. Maybe it was just based off of impulse, but the amount of information that people get is very limited. And if one person does have more information than the other, everyone is typically raised in such a manipulative environment. I feel like people did manipulate situations, whether or not they intended to, often out of ignorance. But there's a relationship. No one has any idea about birth control, for the most part. Even if they did, there wouldn't be access. And pregnancy is always a concern. And if you got pregnant, well, then you absolutely had to marry that person. And now you're in a relationship that's probably incompatible. I think about the amount of 
bitterness and anger that would come out of that situation. And on top of everything else, now that you're married to a person, neither of the individuals have any idea how to take care of each other, how to be in a relationship, or how to take care of themselves. One thing that I saw quite often was that once couples were married, there was the expectation that it would be this perfect 50s style household where the man would go to work every day and be home by five o'clock and we'd all sit around and have dinner together. And maybe it was just me, but I think that a lot of girls who grew up like I did expected that too. Only the people we would be exposed to or have the opportunity to court and eventually marry had none of the skills required to do that. And if they did have the skills, it was it was still a lot of pressure to put on one person who was very young. Where would we live? There's this understanding that your husband should know what is best for you and he should tell you what is best for you and if you don't agree with it he's under the impression that he does know what's best for you he's been raised to believe that so he ultimately has override power on any decision that you might make or any disagreement that you might have there's automatically a tremendous imbalance of power and that brings a lot of animosity. And without the communication tools or skills to address that, it makes things a lot harder. I got married when I was 19. I didn't have a lot of friends because my husband didn't like my friends. He didn't want me to be friends with the people I had been friends with before. I thought that as a good wife, I should listen to him, whether or not I was happy about it. And it didn't help that I was more experienced than he was. I had connections and relationships with people before I got married, before I'd even met my husband. And I didn't even think twice about that. It didn't seem like an issue to me. But there is also the issue that within the church, we were raised to believe that if you had done anything prior to marriage, forgiveness. You had to confess it. You couldn't keep secrets. And what if your husband wasn't willing to forgive you for that, for something that happened before you even met them? Information about you that they were entitled to as your husband. That didn't go well. Men were not raised to believe that their partner could, would, or should have any form of life before their existence. Even the idea of marrying a widow would be a sacrifice. If you were with someone in any way, you were somehow tainted or soiled and it made you less than. I was aware of that, but I also had this impression that if I was some sort of 
air quotes around this, pure flower, that I would be bartered off into a marriage that I did not want. I remember one time at boarding school, there was a guest speaker in for church on Sabbath, Saturday. And he said to one of my classmates, I think she was maybe a year ahead of me, and she had really long hair. He said that she would be a 10-cow wife. And what he meant by that was, in New Guinea, where his family had done mission work, part of a woman's dowry would be cattle and livestock. And he was referring to the fact that she had long hair and was pretty, therefore would be more valuable of a wife. I was 16 at the time. And I was just filled with immediate loathing for the man. He came by my table. We were sitting in the cafeteria for part of the lecture. And I don't remember what he said to me. But he said something that I didn't even agree with. And he was coaching me to respond to it in a specific way. He was asking me this question that he'd already given a scripted answer to, and I was supposed to regurgitate that information. And I was livid. I remember looking around and thinking, seriously? Out of all the adults here, nobody's going to stop him from talking to us like that? Everyone's okay with this man, this almost elderly man referring to the value of women girls under the age of 18 through their physical appearance and the length of their hair and we're all fine with that there were several times I remember outside of that where inappropriate things were said to me or people I was close to, and there wasn't a whole lot done about it. I remember going to my best friend at the time, because he was a bit older than I was and he was very protective, and I told him that a church member, an older man, had made a comment to me at the end of a concert we'd put on. I was sitting on the steps and putting my guitar into a case and packing up my musical instruments. And I was sitting on the steps in a skirt. And he made a comment about being able to see up my skirt. And I couldn't quote it for you verbatim. I just remember that I felt really gross afterwards. And I went to my friend and I was like, please don't leave me anywhere near this person. And I told him what they had said. And he ran interference for the rest of the evening and told his parents. And his parents actually did something. And it went all the way up to the church elders. And I was informed to let someone know if he said anything else to me that was inappropriate. But that they weren't going to take it any further because he already had a record for something that no one would tell me what it was. 
and that if anyone said anything to the police, he would be convicted of a felony and go back to prison. This was what I was told. Later that week, his wife called me and it wasn't exactly an apology. I'm not sure what to make of it. It was very strange to me because I was 16 and a woman was speaking to me about her husband making inappropriate comments to me. My parents weren't there. I don't even know that they were aware that she reached out to me. But she told me that if he ever said anything else, to be sure to let her know. I felt the wrongness of that. Even though no one had spoken to me about situations like that. But I also didn't think to say anything beyond telling my friend because I'd seen situations like that play out before. One time I was at church and they held all of the girls over to listen to a lecture on modesty. And I tuned out most of the lecture, but I do remember one of the elders who had been going on and on and on for several hours at this point, made a comment about how he couldn't deal with sheer stockinged feet, that he was in the store, I think it was called Fred's, it's like a dollar store, and he was walking down an aisle and there was a woman in there wearing stockings and sandals and he saw her feet and he had to turn away because he was so tempted. And I thought that was really gross. At this point, I was probably 14, maybe 15. A few weeks later, I'm not sure about the timeline on this. At some point in time after that initial incident, I was in church and it was cold and I was in the overflow seating So I had my feet tucked up on this, like, overflow chair, and I'm sitting on another chair, so that my skirt is long enough that I can tuck it under my feet to try to stay warm. And that elder, who'd made the comment about the feet, came by and looked at me and said, Remember, when we're in the house of God, we must keep our shoes on our feet and our feet on the floor. There was another elder sitting two rows, maybe in front of me, with his wife. And I saw that he kind of turned his head to the side to hear what was going on, but without looking like he was listening. And I looked at the other elder who just addressed me. And I said, you know, I'm just thinking about this time in the Bible where this guy climbed a mountain and he was talking to God and God was like in a burning bush or something. And God from the bush said to this guy, take your shoes off because you're standing on holy ground. The elder didn't say anything else to me after that. He just walked away. But the elder who was sitting in front of me 
nodded his head a little bit and smiled. And that was the moment I knew I wasn't going to get in trouble for that conversation because up to that point I wasn't really sure. But I did feel like that had something to do with his previous confession, which was also kind of gross when you think about it. From that point, I had an adversarial relationship with the idea of marriage. Even though it was something that I was sure that I wanted, I wanted a family, I knew I didn't want that kind of family. But it's hard to break aside from that pattern and have a healthy relationship with someone who's been raised to be avoidant of your gender as a whole and that you've been raised to believe has no control over their own bodies and choices. How can you have a healthy relationship with a person if you believe they are inherently dangerous and that all of their desires and wants are base and animalistic and that it is your responsibility to help them control that in a sense, controlling your husband, your partner, your spouse, while they believe it is their job to mentally subjugate you, to tell you what you need to do with your life, how you need to live it, where you need to go. It sets couples up for failure. How can you win at that? So I'm married. Things start to go wrong. And I could in essence, disobey my husband by talking to my parents about our relationship. Or I can suffer in silence and try to figure it out. I had a really dysfunctional, distrustful relationship with my parents. So I didn't tell them anything. I was married for three weeks shy of five years when the divorce was finalized. The level of control that I thought was okay was so severe that when I knew for sure that my husband and I were not staying together, the first thing I did was to change the way that I dressed to go to work. I wore a uniform I had to wear khaki pants with a button-down collared shirt and an apron would go over that. And my ex-husband insisted that I wear a t tank top that was long enough that I could tuck it into my pants under my collared shirt. So he picked out a few that I was allowed to wear. I didn't think anything of it because growing up, my parents had to approve all the clothes that I wore. It never occurred to me that adults get to wear what they want because they like it, because it makes them happy, because it's comfortable. For whatever reasons they choose, and no one else gets to have any say in that. The clothes that I wore as a child were never clothes that I picked out for myself. I remember one time my aunt got me 
five dresses from Nordstrom. And they were the most beautiful dresses I'd ever seen. And I found them. I say found because they were hung up in my mom's room. And I was like, these dresses are my size. They must be for me. And I ran to my mom and I was so excited. And I was like, are those dresses for me? Did you guys get me some dresses? And there was a pause and an explanation that my aunt had sent me some of those dresses, but I couldn't keep them all. That they were too nice. It was not an appropriate thing for a person my age to have and for people who had the finances that my parents had. And I could pick one dress. And I must have gone into some sort of histrionics about it because at some point in time they amended that and they allowed me to choose two. And I remember being absolutely distraught over it. They were frilly and had puffed sleeves and lace and beads and ribbons. They were all different styles, but they were all long enough for me to wear. That was my primary concern. So I didn't understand why I couldn't have them because the things that I was programmed to look for was to ensure that the dress was long enough. It needed to come to mid-calf when I sat down. And... It couldn't ride up or anything like that when I was moving around. It needed to have a neckline that was appropriate, so nothing plunging. Of course, when I was younger, this wasn't an issue, but as I began to develop, it was a serious concern that no hint of cleavage be visible, no midriff, no tank tops or short sleeves, any kind of sleeve that might show that you have an armpit was too revealing. Nothing plunging in the back, of course. No pants, no shorts. Gaucho pants and culottes were too form-fitting. Nothing too tight, nothing too loose, because if it was too loose, then you know you might shift and something might fall out, who knows. Nothing that could be considered men's clothing. Pants, ties, anything of that nature. No sense of style, really. Everything looked very potato sackish. My parents would have been happy if I decided that I wanted a Mennonite or Amish, Amish seamstress to make my clothes, which I considered. Most of the time I wore hand-me-downs, so when my aunt got me those dresses, it was a big deal. I don't remember how I came to the decision, and I think I erased the dresses from my mind that I wasn't allowed to keep. I remember one was white and had bright purple and pink and orange and yellow flowers on it. And I kept that one. I got my first pair of jeans when I was eight or nine, and I convinced my mom that I would only wear them under dresses. 
that lasted about five minutes. I loved climbing trees, and climbing trees in dresses and skirts is just ridiculous, especially when they come down to your ankles. And I thought that skirts and dresses that came to mid-calf were silly-looking. Made me look like an old lady, and I didn't want to wear those. So I insisted on wearing my dresses so long that they would drag in the mud if I could find them that long and as tight as I could possibly get things. Which is really difficult because being skinny and stuff, I had to go through all kinds of hoops. And one of my favorite things to tell my mom was, well, yeah, I'll wear a long shirt with it. Or if I get it any bigger, it's going to not fit in the waist and then it'll fall off. And I don't think I convinced her, but I think I wore her down with persistence and sheer force of will. One of the things that they used to tell me was, stop whining, Chandra, because apparently I whined a lot. I, I took that as being persistent, but who's to say? I got another pair of jeans when I was 15. 15? 14? When I was canvassing. I think that was when I was 14. Yes, I was 14 because that was the first time. And I hid them. I kept them secret and safe. And when I would leave the house, I would put my jeans on and I would put a big baggy skirt on over it, which my parents always thought was weird. Or sometimes I would wear stuff that didn't match. Because what the shirt I was wearing would match my jeans, but it wouldn't match the biggest skirt that I had that covered my jeans the best. So I would leave the house in interesting get-ups. My ex-husband didn't like me wearing dresses or skirts. He didn't like the way they looked on me, I guess, and the ones that I would choose for myself were immodest in his opinion as well. Mostly that he didn't want people to see me to have a figure, which, whatever, it's fine. So as soon as I was on the other side of that, there was this gradual slide of me feeling like I was being rebellious, but I was really just dressing like a nice church lady. And then once I finally figured it out, I think someone gave me this dress. It was short, like mid-thigh, spaghetti strap, black, pink, and red. It sounds funny when you describe it. Just tiny cotton. That was, that was it. I was hooked. I would go to the thrift store and I would just find as many dresses like that as I could. There was something liberating about having a body. Not any specific kind of body, just having a body and being able to wear things that weren't too hot in the summer or that looked cute or that felt nice or that made me feel good about myself. There's something really demeaning about being dressed down so that you don't look good. Not even that you don't look good to other people, but so that you don't look good to yourself.
it erodes your confidence. After I discovered clothes and was actually able to get the ones I liked, and then I discovered makeup, I was a proper Jezebel, let me just tell you. Really living the life, hitting the streets after work, and by hitting the streets I mean walking to my car and driving to the nail salon and getting a manicure, if you can imagine. It was positively scandalous. And that was all I really wanted to do. That was living it up for me. You have been listening to Cult Evaded.